Hey, this is Pastor Rick. Welcome to On Demand, one of my favorite places to be. Why? Because On Demand puts the Word of God in your hand. It's right there. <laughs> you can get it when you want it. And this is going to be a study today that's going to be great. We're going to talk about voting and politics, the truth about it, what the Bible says and doesn't say. You're going to find this to be a very helpful study. And I think in this political environment, it is truly a beneficial tool that will help you understand how to see things correctly. And I think it will inspire you to vote and inspire you to trust God. So stay there. It's going to be great in just a minute. So enjoy the sermon today. Call a friend, link it and send it to somebody. I'm telling you, this is going to be good. Enjoy. I want to talk to you today about two things, voting and politics. Man, the truth about voting and politics. Now, I, I'm telling you, I'm taking a chance jumping into this because I know some people have a lot of viewpoints and I have a lot of viewpoints. I got strong political views, but I respect the rights of others to have their views. And today I'm sitting out talking to the family. So this is a family discussion. So if you disagree with anything I say, it's all right to be wrong. <laughs> no, no, it's OK to have your opinion. But I want I want to open the door and I want to lay some ground rules. OK, here's what I'm doing. Now, my first responsibility is to make sure that our church, Overcome by Faith Ministries, is clear. I want to lay down some, some basics. We have in our church people on all sides of the, of, of the aisle. We got Republicans, we got Democrats. Some of you say, where them Democrats at? Where them Republicans at? They in the church, they're all over the place. And our, our church leans, you know, can, can lean more one way than the other, but the bottom line is we're all in this together, whether we agree or disagree. But I want to, I want to give us something to think about. Because I think you need to have a family discussion sometimes and find some ground rules. So here's what we're going to do. The first thing is I want to give you a book that we're reading, okay, as a church. It's, it's, called, it's, it's a book by Tony Evans on how Christians should vote. And I want you to get it, and I want you to read it, and I want you to just follow him along. Now, he's going to say, he's going to say God's not a Republican, and God is not a Democrat. He said, I'm not on either side. I'm on God's side. And he believes in the kingdom and that the kingdom needs to take over, not the Republicans and not the Democrats. And I'll talk a lot about that next week when I talk about a big word, triumphalism, triumphing. Christians want to take over. We'll talk about that next week. But this week, I want you to look at government. And I want to show you how our government works. And I want to show you what the Bible says about it. Now, there's some assumptions we make. We make the assumption that we are a Christian nation. And that is fundamentally flawed in its roots. And so we'll talk about that, too, in a minute. But let me give you four things that we promised you last week that we would discuss. And so throughout this series, I'll be interacting with these four basic questions that I think you want to know. Number one, who should I vote for? You going to tell me who to vote for, Pastor Rick? I'm going to push you a little bit, just a little bit. But I'm not going to tell you who to vote for ultimately, but I'll give you some some new thoughts, hopefully. Number two. The question I think you want to ask me is not only who should vote for, but what, which party or candidate is the most righteous? Now, one of these has got to be righteous. Somebody got to be wicked and evil. Tell me who's evil. Tell me who's wicked. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Number three, which party or candidate best represents God's perfect will? Now, here's the problem with that question. Christians think they know God's perfect will. The Bible. It's the Bible. It's what the Bible says. It's the Bible. That's, that's, that's the will of God right there, Pastor Rick. Okay, we'll talk about that, too. Okay, number four. Should I vote for the one that is the closest to my values, the closest to what I believe? Is that, is that what I should do? I, I, one of the things that I think is dangerous for Christians is uh, they think that they've got it sewed up. There's no room for any discussion. 
And they don't really have a plan for anybody who disagrees. They have a viewpoint about people, but not a plan for dealing with people who disagree. So what if you're living with somebody, he says, okay, I heard your best sermon, uh, but I don't like you, I don't like your pastor, and I don't want to go to your church. So how do you deal with me now? That's right, I don't ever, I don't ever want to go to your church, I don't want to ever be under your pastor, I don't want to ever, 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 ever hear a sermon that you preach or anybody you know preaches. I mean, how do you deal with those people? And I think that brings me to a very important distinction that I need to make. Some discussions are biblical discussions. We're having a discussion about the Bible, so it's a biblical discussion. But then sometimes we're having a secular discussion, which means this is not tied to any religion. It's just a, a conversation about community. How do we run the city of Savannah? How do we run the government? How do we manage Social Security? How do we manage? That's not a biblical discussion. We might have some viewpoints that we draw from the Bible, but in terms of it being a biblical discussion. A lot of things that I think Christians aren't prepared for is secular discussions. They take the Christian convictions they have and they try to over, I'll talk about this later, over-spiritualize them and apply it. And then they make amazing leaps. For example, one of the amazing leaps they make is they assume that America, for example, is a Christian nation, that it was founded by people with Christian values and Christian perspectives. Now, just hold on and just get a couple of things with me. You ready? A couple of things I want you to get. There is a book. It's called Lies My Teacher Told Me. Okay. And it has to do with things that were not put into the um, textbooks for reasons that maybe didn't shine great light on our country. And I like the book because it has pushed me. My view of the Indians was wrong. They're not a bunch of people who run around and yell and scout people. That is not true. We kill way more of them than they killed of us. Trust me. And there is something very wrong about the way they've been portrayed in history. The, the origin of a lot of things, the origin of slavery, for example, a lot of that was left out. Our, 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 even the founding of our country, the basis of it, this was an economic investment. The colonists came here to make money. They came here to start a new land, to start new businesses, and they needed labor. So this country made a decision. This country decided to import forced labor, which means they went to Africa. They grabbed people. They tried Indians. That didn't work out too well. They tried the indigenous people. And then they tried, they, that didn't work, so they went and got Africans, and they brought Africans over here. And a lot of that was sponsored by church people, just for the record. A lot of it, a lot of the ideas, the structure of it came from religious people, and that's a whole other study. So the reality of our country is we weren't as mature as we really should have been. Instead of sharing the wisdom and the knowledge that we had gathered, uh, we now were dominating people. And that mindset comes from Europe, because they fought wars all the time. They fought in 1400s, 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. They fought, they fought each other. They fought, they fought, and, and, and killed each other. That's why coming over here to America wasn't hard for them. The Indians were shocked at the way they slaughtered people because Indians would maybe defeat an enemy, but they wouldn't kill everybody. They felt like just weakening them so they wouldn't be a threat anymore. But they went in and they slaughtered tribes of Indians and killed. And you might say, well, they killed some of us too. I understand. But you have to realize they were here first. It was their land. We, quote, bought it. Really? Really? We bought it? No, we took it. Now, that's, that's a, you can get off on that one. But the bottom line is that's con conquest mindsets. It's not something that started here in America. It was in Europe. It was around the world. The whole idea of we, we, want, we, we want to take over. They couldn't see. They couldn't, their eyes were, 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 were blurry. 
with this idea of dominance, and they could not imagine not owning something that they didn't own. <laughs> Can I get that right? Yeah. <laughs> they see it, they want to own it, and so they take over. And the tragedy in that is the, the, the bodies and the loss of freedom for over 200 years, this country had free slave labor. And then afterward, what it did was it marginalized people still for another several hundred years. So it became this incredible challenge to watch our country um, not be fair, not be fair to women for 144 years. They couldn't vote, not be fair to minorities, not be fair to people in the name of advancing an economic agenda. Now, that's the truth. Now, I don't have, if I, I understand payroll, I get it. If you can have a company that does not map to match meet a payroll, they can save a lot of money. They can build a lot of wealth and assets because they don't have to pay for it. And, and foundation is very important in the early days. So having said that, that doesn't belittle the hard work other people have made. That doesn't belittle anybody. I'm not trying to say that you didn't work hard and sacrifice, and I'm not trying to say any of that. But the Bible said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And, that, and it was really amazing is when you go back and you study this, it was the Republicans who fought for the freedom of the slaves, not the Democrats. The Democrats were, and especially in the South, were totally for in slavery. The Democrats were the ones who pushed uh, the whole agenda that had to do with um, uh, Jim Crow laws that lasted past the Reconstruction period uh, after 1865 when the slaves were free. And then you move on up the road here and you get you get to 86, 1886. And let me not get too historical here, but you get to all those seasons during the, the period when they were supposed to reconstruct America and give people land and all that kind of stuff. Well, when that when that all soured and then you get in the early 1900s and you have you have presidents who encouraged and supported the Ku Klux Klan and did not stop them. They had the power and the means, but didn't. That was our foundation. But can we live there? No. No, we can't. Do we need to know about it? Yes. But when you understand that, you understand some of the politics, that the politics has followed the pain. So <clears throat> black people migrated to people who wanted them free, Republicans, during the 1800s. Then they migrated to people against people who were for Jim Crow laws. People migrated where their, their problem, their pain was. So if a person doesn't have a job, they migrate to the people who gets job, get them jobs. If they need health care, they migrate. And so that's a secular conversation, just for context here. That's not a biblical conversation. The conversation about those issues, roads and how to, how to build things, how we built our economy, those are secular conversations. Now, you can have a spiritual view of it, but, but a lot of what we're dealing with, even though what we call systemic, is really a secular attitude towards management, towards distribution of wealth, towards those issues. And those are things that we need to keep in the right box. Now, here's my big point about all that. Sometimes the problem is, is I want to I make this note, and I want you to listen to this. The problem, and, and Tony Evans says it well, he says this in his book called um, How Christians Should Vote on page 45, if you want to know exactly where it is. Here's what he says. The problem is that too many people are looking for salvation by government. They are putting their hope in the political realm. But God warns that when we put our confidence in kings, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 9 through 18, there is no such thing as salvation by government. 
Judges 8, 22-23. Now those two texts show where Israel in 1 Samuel wanted a king. And they thought that if they got a king and they got the right person in office, that things would change. And here's what they said. We want to be like the other nations. And that didn't save them. If anything, kings brought them more conflict and more challenge. In the book of Judges, you have the same thing. An example that kings and leaders and nations don't save you. So I want you to think with me about this. What have you put your faith in? What have you put your faith in? What, what, have, you, what have you bought into that isn't true? Now, I want to give you, if I can, three facts that must be clear about voting in politics. And these are going to be surprising to you. And I want to show you a clip for a minute that will help you see what I'm saying. So I want to, I'm going to show you a video I want you to watch. And I want to say three things first, and then I want you to watch the video. You ready? Number one, three things. First of all, voting as we know it did not exist during any period in history prior to 1776. Prior to 1776, prior to America, there was no country that had a voting structure like ours, exactly like ours. There were signs of it. You could find a little voting here, a little bit of opportunity here, to, you know, to elect somebody or appoint somebody to, a, to you know, to, a, to a, a group. But it was not as comprehensive and as well-structured and organized like America. This is a democratic experiment. America came, the, the people from Europe came over here and the colonists, they decided that once they wanted their freedom, the Revolutionary War, they wanted their freedom from, the, from the, those who were rulers. Before, before America, it's all, it was all about kings and princesses and, and becoming part of the royal family. Those were the people who ruled in all the countries, pretty much. Or the ones even today, a lot of times, with the biggest gun, those had the biggest control. In America, they decided, and this is what's brilliant by the forefathers, that they wanted to establish a constitution and a right so people, all men, black, white, everybody, that's what they said now, would be equal. They didn't mean that in practice, but in, in, in point of, of theory, they wanted to create a secular society that had religious elements in it. Now, they, you can find verses and quoting verses and all that, but in practice, the foundation had problems because, again, it was founded on forced labor. Four million people were dragged, some say, over here and forced, forced, to, forced, to, forced to serve. They were, I don't need to describe it, you know it was painful. So here's the, here's the bottom line. The, the whole way we vote, the way we establish it, was never done. And by the way, it was only for white men. It was not for everybody. Everybody didn't get that right for 144 years and then went to 1920 that the women, white women particularly, got the right. The women, the black women didn't get it until the, the mid-60s. So I want to be clear that there are certain things that were foundationally um, not true in the world until America did this great thing, which I'll show you in just a minute. Secondly, politics by definition has to do with the affairs of the city. I want you to understand that. Politics has to do with the affairs of the city. When you're dealing with the affairs of the city, that is what politics is. That's what the root word means. So you're, you're, you're politicking, you're dealing with the basics, and that's part of life. You're going to be politicking forever. You can't get rid of politics. So let's not try to get out of, I'm, I'm, I don't deal with politics, you have to politic. Politics is about convincing people. It's about moving, moving the affairs of the city forward, the affairs of the community. Thirdly, politicians are people who are appointed to handle our issues. Those who are put in office in our system are put there for our benefit, to help us. And that leads me into the clip I want you to see. 
This was amazing. It's on YouTube. I'm going to put it up there where you can find it. Make sure you give them credit for this. And I want to put this in the sermon. I want you to see it and I want you to, to share it with friends. Go online, find it. And I want you to see how this works. This is amazing. So watch this clip. Hello, I'm Perez Hilton. Did you know that more people in the United States check their Facebook and watch the Super Bowl than exercise their right to vote? We've got some serious issues to deal with. So how come so many of us don't even bother to vote? Is it because we don't care? Or maybe it's because we don't know our history. So let's go back, way back. Our country's first election came after fighting for our independence, a fight that cost many lives, but it was worth it because instead of being ruled by a king, we were finally able to make our own laws. But not everybody was allowed to participate. You see, back then, you had to own property, be white, and a man in order to actually vote. Now, things continued that way for about 80 years, until after the Civil War, when slavery was abolished and all men were given the right to vote. Now, hold up a minute. Just because we had the right to vote didn't mean we could use it. See, all these new voters wanted to participate, which threatened the people in power and their ability to stay in power. So they tried to stop us with violence and shady new requirements like literacy tests and poll taxes. We had to fight for nearly 100 years before the Voting Rights Act passed, which finally outlawed these dirty tricks. And you weren't the only ones that had to fight for your right to vote. Somehow women got left out and had to organize and fight state by state until we took our fight to Washington and finally got our right to vote all across the country. And even once the laws guaranteed every person the ability to vote, you still had to be 21 in most states. So when our government began drafting people under 21 to go fight in Vietnam, they realized their lives were at stake and they had no say. Young people all across the country rose up in protest and demanded that everyone over 18 should be allowed to vote. And since then, young people's votes have been crucial in deciding lots of big elections. Like in 2008, when a black candidate had a real chance to become president, young people showed up in record numbers. And every year, we make up a larger share of the voting population, giving young people more power, but only if we participate. So let me break it down. Together, there is so much we can decide, like whether or not we should go to war, or how we spend our money, and how we power our lives. We can determine who has the right to marry, and who has the right to choose, what possessions should be outlawed, and whether or not we should legalize. It's up to you to make your choices and shape our future. If we sit on the sidelines, then others will make it work for them instead of us. So let's make our voices heard. So what would it take for you to vote? I hope you learned a lot. That, that clip is amazing. That, that, that whole idea of 
how it all started, voting, and the way it was structured, I, I think it's hard sometimes for us as Christians to understand we live in a world that's not fully Christian or in a country. It has some secular elements to it that have there's nothing to do with the Bible. And with that being said, I want to turn to what does God say about governing and what does he say about the whole idea of the way a government should work. Now, look with me at the book of Deuteronomy, chapter four, verse five. The leader that's speaking in Deuteronomy is Moses. He was not voted in. Let's be clear. He was appointed. You don't find anybody in the Bible who was voted in the office. Nobody. You find people that were appointed from the first King David, Saul rather, forward. Everybody was appointed. Therefore, it's, it's really not honest to say the Bible gives you a map to voting because there's no voting and there's no voting in the Bible. It is basically uh, governed by kings, leaders. And there's a lot of examples in the Bible of unfair leaders. Leaders that were good, leaders that were bad. I mean, it, the Bible is very clear about that. So there's no, no need to somehow try to pretend that the Bible is a voting guide. It is not a voting guide. It lays out principles. And I want to show you some principles. And here's what Moses says about governing. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5. I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show you your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord, our God, capital G, is near us whenever you, we pray to him? Verse 8, and what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourself closely so that you don't do not forget the things you have seen or let them fade from your heart. As long as you live, teach them to your children and to their children after them. Wow. Now, that verse sounds like a verse that implies there are laws that God wants you to follow rules and leaders and so on. But be clear. Moses, who was appointed, is speaking about laws that God gave him that he now tells to the people. Now, I want you to note this now. This is in no way an indication that somehow our laws are equal to these laws. So some people would read this verse and say, see, there's laws and statutes and all this. And God wants you to. Yeah, he's talking to his people, Israel. And he's talking in a certain context. But I do want you to see that there were standards that they governed the nation of Israel by. There were there were things they were not to do. And they were specifically told, don't do this. They were told, I'm writing this down. And you don't, don't need to do this. I want you to be clear about that. Writing this down. And I want, I want you to do exactly what I said. Now, now, 
those are laws that God gave Moses and Moses governed with those laws. On our side, what we do, because of our, our national system, we, we vote in senators, congressmen, leaders, community leaders, people we put in office, and they come up with rules and laws. Now, here's what I want you to know now, please. We are not God, and we can't get our laws, we can get our laws wrong sometimes. Sometimes the laws that we come up with are questionable. Sometimes the, the positions we take are selfish. So a person who doesn't have Social Security doesn't care about it. A person who doesn't have a, a concern or an investment in certain areas doesn't care about it. For, some, for many of you, there's something they have in the law called housing allowance for pastors, which gives pastors a, a tax benefit. You don't care about that because you're not a pastor, so it doesn't fit you. You may not care about tax-free properties uh, for churches. That meant because you don't, you, know, you don't have a church property, that, so it doesn't matter. If you go to a church, it may matter. But there are a lot of things that are, that are put in the law, some good, some helpful, some hurt people, and we have to change those laws. So I want you to think about this for a minute. Our laws, this is important, are not the same as the laws described in the Scripture. We, are, we, at various times in history, have voted to implement certain laws. For example, slavery was part of the law. Segregation was in the law. Chauvinism was in the law. 120 Japanese were interned from, were locked up in concentration camps, 120,000 right in America, from 1942 to 1946. 42, 43, 44, 45, 46. One more time. Look at my hands. From 1942, around April or so of 1942, 43, 44, 45, 46. Japanese Americans who lived here, they were rounded up and for five, they were locked up for almost five years. Wow. We did that. And that was the law. We, 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 we did that. The environment, pollution in the environment. We allowed dumping. We allowed a lot of things to happen. And so sometimes our laws were not perfect. And, and because we designed them, and Jesus kind of gave a hint at this. You know, he says, let the wheat and the tare grow together. He said, because I need to do the separating because you don't do a good job. So I want you to be really clear about laws. So sometimes when Christians start talking about laws and, and, and as if somehow they, we in this country have mastered perfect laws, we haven't. We have to adjust them. God's word is perfect, but our, our, ours is not. And so we have to wait and work our way through things. And sometimes in the voting process, that's part of how that happens, where we tried something and we found out it hurt people, it hurt the elderly, it hurt all kinds of folks. Right now, for example, there's a rising debt. The rising debt will hurt our children. We can ignore it all we want, but the rising debt, somebody's got to pay the credit card off. We are living off the credit card. We're living off of a debt that's incredible. And so if, we, <laughs> if we're honest about it and we look at our debt, our national debt level compared to, catch this now, our income. We take in, I think at one point it was $3.5 or trillion or so. 
And then we spend over four trillion, and now we're spending five, six trillion. We're going higher than that. So we're spending way more than we, we're almost going to spend double what we take in in a year. And then we're going to put it on the credit card. Somebody has to pay for that. So voting, people who are impacted by that, healthcare, they're going to, the vote will follow the pain. And that's okay. So let's not get confused and act like God's law, which is absolute and clear in scripture, is the same as human law. Human law is evolving and finding its way to a better place. Now, let me talk about God's specific consequences for not governing properly. And this is important because, you know, we can come up with uh, attitudes and ways and we can think that it doesn't matter, but it does. If you are not fair, if we are not, um, if we don't, if we don't honor God in the governing process, and if we take it upon ourselves to assume, yeah, we got it all figured out. We know this is this is our nation. We we are the ones, and you take on a, a prideful place instead of a humble spirit. You're going to end up uh, potentially in a bad place. There's a guy who did this, Nebuchadnezzar. He was the governing authority. He was the ultimate boss. Conquered Israel, conquered Babylon, and he became arrogant. Now, here's a challenge for those who are in politics. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. Preachers need to be careful. All of us who know that we're right need to be careful. Because the, if you're not careful, you'll start taking it upon yourself and assuming you're perfect. I just gave you a list of examples that show we weren't perfect that we got things wrong. Accepting that you can get it wrong is, is, is the beginning place. So let me read a verse to you. This is an example in Daniel chapter 4 of a guy who got it wrong. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. And it happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. He said these words. Is not this the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty, verse 31, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times or seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge, until you acknowledge until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms, governments on earth, and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven, important statement now, driven away from, from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. What is that about, Pastor Rick? It's a warning. It's an example. You see, the Bible is really a, a book that records warnings. Here's what he's saying. You don't need to play with me. I gave you the right to govern. 
in the secular world and you don't need to forget me. Now, I want you to be clear about this. God did not get him because he was a, a sinner and imperfect. Here's what God wanted him to understand. I gave you this. I gave you this opportunity. See, every leader, every senator, every person in charge needs to understand that. Now, you understand this. Now, Christians are going to hear that and sound like, well, you see, he's telling you to go to church. He's telling you you need to, need to get on your knees and, and speak in tongues or something. That's not what he's saying. You need to honor God. You know who gave you what you have. Our country needs to remember who gave it to us. Our God, our, even though we started wrong and, and our, our, we wasn't very neighborly and wasn't very kind to go drag people across the ocean and make them slaves and it wasn't kind to kill off tribes of people and it wasn't kind to dominate. It wasn't, a lot of that wasn't nice, very neighborly. Not the way to greet people. But let's put that on the side for just a minute and make this point. I never, I never wonder what's going to happen to people who are not humble. Because the Bible says they'll end up eating grass. The Bible says, look at Nebuchadnezzar. He says, you're not going to have your right mind back for seven years. Something's going. The Bible, I, I don't know if you saw this or not. It says in verse 33, he was driven away from his people. They had to, they had to grab him and they had to tie him down. And for seven years, he was out of his mind. Let me tell you something. Rebellion leads to insanity. It leads you down a path that you don't want to be on. And our nation has to be careful that it doesn't dishonor God. Now, I'm not saying you got to go to church. I'm not saying you got to become a Christian, even though I want you to. I do. Of course I do. Of course I bless. Well, why do you think I'm on here right now? I believe what I believe, but I, I have to understand, I live in a world where everybody's not going to accept that. But one thing I don't want you to do is dishonor God. Remember who gave it to you, even if you don't want to serve him. The words of Nebuchadnezzar got him in trouble. And let me tell you what's going to get us in trouble. The attitude, the arrogant, domineering attitude, whether you be a believer or a non-believer. When we understand, I can separate and say, OK, you don't have to believe like I believe. You don't agree with everything I agree with. But here's the problem. When I become arrogant, I'm in trouble. And when you become arrogant, you're in trouble. God's people were punished for the same reason the secular people were punished. Rebellion against God, not honoring God. Sometimes if you're not careful, you fall into that category. And there's a, there's a, there's a warning, and I want to give it to you. Jesus said this, Mark chapter 12, verse 17. Here's what Jesus said. He says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And the Bible said they were amazed at him. They were amazed at his speech, his balance. Jesus basically said, and this was in the context of Mark chapter 12, verse 17, of taxes. Here's what he was basically saying. Pay your taxes. You have a secular responsibility. Obey the laws. Render to Caesar what Caesar. When you go into Caesar's presence, you bow. You honor Caesar. You obey the laws. You, you pay attention to, to the, the world you live in. And don't assume that everything, everybody has to bow to you. Here's my concern about we Christians today. We want people to bow to us. But we're going to take charge. We're going we're gonna to rule. We, we're going to rule the vote. We're going to tell you who to vote for. We're going to tell you. We know exactly what you need to do. And we got our list of reasons. And we are demanding. Lord have mercy. Mm, mm, mm. It's amazing how. 
If we're not careful, we act more like Nebuchadnezzar than, than, we, than we should. We, we feel we know. We feel we understand. But let me ask you something. You ever been wrong? You, you ever got it wrong in your family? You ever got it wrong with your kids? You, know, you don't get it right all the time. Be careful. Be careful. Think about for a minute your responsibility is not to be perfect, but be humble. And that's what redeemed Nebuchadnezzar. Humility. And that's what Jesus wanted the disciples to understand. No, you in the world, pay your taxes. No, you in the world, render to Caesar what Caesar's. Be honorable. Be nice. Be respectful. Pastor Rick, can I ask you a quick question? What if the authorities are wrong? For example, in the police department, all that stuff we're talking about these days. Okay. Policemen need to be right. All you officers look at me. You need to do what's right. Be fair to people. You have a lot of authority, a lot of power. Use it right. But you people, let me turn to you. Don't cuss at them. Don't yell at them. Don't attack them. Don't shoot them sitting in a car. Lord have mercy. And then go to the hospital and chant, glad they're dead, I hope they die. Lord help us. Render to Caesar what Caesar's. The man has a badge on, show respect. But officer, please be nicer. You don't have the right to do anything and everything you want to do either. They're bound to everybody. And, I, and, and we, we, we cannot survive if we divide. My time is up, man. I got to go. I got to go. But listen, listen to me. You have to hear the power of balance. It's all about balance and putting the right things in the right place. Stop assuming we're a perfect nation. We're not. Stop assuming that we started with a great foundation. We started with a good foundation in some areas, but it was based on a very wrong premise. Forced labor. Slavery was wrong. Now we have to get past that, past Jim Crow. We got to work together. We have to come together. Can't even vote together. Lay our differences aside. Our, our religions. We can't, we can't make everybody Christian. There are people who don't want to be like us. Can you love people who are different? Almost everybody come to your church and listen to your pastor and sing like you sing and do what you do. I love God with all my heart. But the Bible said God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And they weren't going to, they didn't go to any church. Jesus came before they, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't, he didn't come to save perfect people. Get everybody to come and be like you. Vote like you, think like you, process the way you process. Let people have their right and freedom to pick their choice. God's not a Republican. God's not a Democrat. Your values aren't the only values in the world. Your perspectives and your theology isn't the only theology in the world. And if you're not careful, there's one big problem you have. It's called triumphalism. I want to put that on the screen. That big word. That's the problem. You're trying to triumph over everybody. You want to rule everybody. So here's what I'm going to talk about. You ready? I'm going to talk about this whole idea of what happens when Christians want to take over. When Christians want to take over. What happens? Oh, boy. There are three things that concern me. One is Christian triumphalism blended with political zeal. You want to take over. And it's blended with something that's very unscriptural. This idea that you dominate and make people 
God didn't make Adam and Eve not do things. God did not make you come to Christ and you can't make a person stop smoking. You can't make a gay man straight by being mean to him. You may not like the transgender culture, but you can't make them be, be what you want them to be. Well, I won't let them pollute our world. Man, is that sad? As sinful as you've been in your life, as flawed as you are and as much as you don't know. Look at your family. Look at your kids. Look at yourself. Look at your world. Look at the environment. Look at your money. Look at your history. Oh, you could pick on somebody. And you can say what you want to say about them and you can make that your highlight reel. I'm going over time today and I'm going to tell you something. That's our problem. That's our problem. Triumphalism. I'm concerned about the consequences of ignoring the truth. On all sides. If the president lied, pause, he lied. If the senator lied, pause, he lied. Say it. I don't know what Christians are doing these days. You're ignoring everything. In the name of what? What you trying to do? You trying to get somebody appointed to the, to the Supreme Court? Are you trying to get some law changed? Listen, don't, don't. What does it profit a man if he gained the entire world and lose himself? You may gain political points here and there, but if you lie and you lose yourself in the end, everybody lies. Well, don't you lie. I didn't say, let's talk about you. Tell the truth. I'm not saying dishonor anybody. I'm saying tell the truth. Lastly, I'm done. I'm concerned about the outcome of what I call over-spiritualizing, over-spiritualizing a secular responsibility. Mayors, governors, listen to me, senators, you represent everybody. You represent everybody. And you can't let us force you to ignore everybody but us. I have my own agenda and idea, but it is not fair for Ricky Temple's way to rule the world. I am not a king. And neither did God mean for the church. Well, we are kingdoms and God's kingdom and priests. Yeah, but don't you get that wrong. That's your spiritual position. You, you, you're not a king on the earth. You don't have any authority, no throne. And you don't have a right, preacher, to dominate anybody. And maybe that's why God sent us all home on time out. Maybe that's why he told us all to go home and think about it. While Corona is running around, threatening the life, and while you, if you're not careful, ignoring the danger, and while you're quoting your Bible verses about no fear, and while you're talking about you ain't afraid of nothing, and God said that God didn't give me the spirit of fear. Some dead preachers who said that, and I don't say that to mock anybody who died, there's thousands of people at this season and this date of this sermon. Over 200,000 people have died. You don't know everything, church. You need to pause. Think about what we're doing. We're going in the wrong direction. We need to band together. A house divided cannot stand. You can't fight a common enemy if you're not paying attention. I got to go. Join me next week if you want to. You may say, I ain't coming back, Kim. 
I'm through with you. Don't be through with me. I'm a nice guy. I'm just trying to help us think this thing through. At least we had an honest conversation. I told you it's a family meeting. Tune in next week if you can take it. I got more to say. When Christians want to take over, Lord, help us. I got more to say. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for those who've been with me today. I'm a little bit over time, but I had a good time. I pray what we talked about helped everybody. I pray it lifts our spirits and our minds to a new place. It helps us decide we need to grow, learn, and let the wheat and the tear grow together, and you do the separating. We're not good at it. The Bible made it plain. Not our job to give the final answer. You get to open the final book. You get to make the final judgments. Some of us have stepped in and we're judging everybody, making these statements that imply we know what's best for everybody's vote and everybody's decision. And God, we, we're becoming arrogant, some of us, on both sides. And we need to humble down and allow you to help us manage life in a secular world. Paul said, I learned to become all things to all men that I may win them. We have to learn how to deal with the world. And so help us in Jesus name. Amen. Man, I tell you what, I thank you for the extra minutes tonight. Today, I thank you for the opportunity to talk to you. And I want to just say this to you. For some of you, you've heard me talking. You say, you know, Pastor Rick, you're right. I need to repent. My life, what you said today made me see a lot about my life, my attitude. I need to surrender to God. I need to say, God, be the Lord of my life. I want you right now, if that's your prayer, I want you to pray with me. I want you to pray with me. And I want, you, I want you to just join me in this prayer. Father, let this be the moment we surrender our lives to Christ. Many people who've heard this message say, I need God in my life. I need to be forgiven. I need to start a walk with Jesus. I pray this is the moment that the powerful word of God will come alive in their hearts. And they'd say, I'm sorry for not serving you, but I want you in my life. I declare this. I speak it over them. And I declare this is the beginning of a new life in Jesus name. Amen. Well, I hope you were inspired today. I hope you're inspired to be balanced today. I hope at the end of the day, you look at this and say, you know, he's right. I've got to respect leaders, but I've got to speak truth to leaders. I cannot allow myself to ignore what we're creating. There are times when you mean a person well, but you don't do them well because you don't challenge them. Every leader needs to be humble. Every leader needs to be a servant. And every leader needs to understand the power that they've been given when they've been voted into office. Now, next week, we're going to take this turn, and I just can't tell you how powerful it is when we talk about triumphalism. Christians want to take over. They believe they've got the answer for everybody. They believe that they have the key, and I believe a lot of that is sincere, but we'll talk about that next week when Christians want to take over. What does the Bible say about triumphalism? There's a big word. I want you to think about that word, triumphalism, this week, and then we'll get back to it in our next study. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for us today. In this difficult season when we're struggling to find our way, when there's so many things that we've misunderstood, I ask you to give us guidance and give us wisdom. And I pray for those who've listened today, may they be at peace with their vote and not feel compelled to be of one party or the other. May they vote from where they live and may they feel your hand on their life. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, voting is not something that's always been a right in this, in this world. Let's make it broad enough so you get it. But the right to vote is the right you don't want to bypass. We said a lot today. I have more to say down the road, but I want you to hear me. Nobody can make you feel guilty because you don't vote the way they vote. I think we Christians have a lot to learn about triumphalism, the desire to rule, 
the desire to be in charge. Tell everybody everything. You know, Jesus said, let the wheat and the tear grow together. I'll separate. You're not good at it, even though you think you are, even though we think we are. We're not always good. There's somebody out there who's voting your conscience and it doesn't agree with your neighbor and it's okay. It's a right that this country gave you that few people in the world had for years and, and many still don't really have it. Not a pure vote. But you go exercise that right. Go vote. Take charge of your life. See you next time. Bye-bye.